want you to hurt me, but like not in a not in a cool way. <laughs> what? Welcome back to another episode of Debatable with your hosts Nina and Kyle. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. And for today, we take a look at something a lot of us take for granted, the environment. In particular, we want to look at the philosophy of environmentalism while tackling certain issues that come up in debates about the topic. This episode was in collaboration with Justin Gouda, who was kind enough to help us with the research for this episode. So if you're listening, Gouda, thank you. To start off the episode, we need to first talk about the rights of nature. So I actually attended a webinar the other day on the rights of nature. And it was about a Philippine effort to have legal personality be granted to different bodies of nature. Whether that is wise or like smart mm-hmm. is a debate in and of itself. And like, in fact, there are debates about it. Especially, I've debated it Yeah, before, you yeah. debated something mm-hmm. about the Amazon. Um, we've been debating it for almost a decade now, actually. But I am actually kind of biased because I am firmly of the belief that nature does deserve legal personality, like it does deserve some legal rights. But I also want to take a look at the concept of legal personality or personhood, because if I'm not mistaken, in your debate, Nina, the main case for opposition, for opposing the grant of legal personality, was the idea that it diminishes the idea of personhood. Yeah, but what is personhood first? Yeah, so that's actually what I want to talk about first. Personhood, in the legal sense, does not necessarily mean human, right? A person is simply something that is entitled to certain rights, including and especially the right to sue. So if you want to grant legal rights or personality to bodies of nature, hypothetically, they should be able to sue on their own behalf. Like, a river will sue someone else um, for damages, those kinds of things. So it is actually a legal concept. It doesn't mean human. More importantly, it's just fiction. So another example of a fictitious person that is not a human is a corporation. Because a corporation doesn't really exist. Like, there are buildings where the corporation's operations take place, but the corporation is not the building. It's not in the building either. It's not even the operations that go inside the building. If you tear down the building or you stop the operation, the corporation will still exist. And that's also the same thing that we see in the state, right? Where, like, you're a political science person. Does the state (laughs) really exist? No, it doesn't. It's a social construct. It's a social construct. So, even though the state has certain rights, like, for example, the right to police power, the right of taxation, eminent domain, all those kinds of things... It doesn't mean that they are people in the sense that you and I are people, but the state is a person. Yeah, so my understanding of it is someone gains personhood when there's a general consensus amongst people in society that this is a thing. Like, no matter what happens, this is still a thing. The state, even if it loses all its buildings and its citizens... Okay, maybe not its citizens. That's another political science topic for another day. But generally, like, if the idea exists, then the concept exists. Yeah, so generally, if you're looking at things like corporations or the state, their existence, while fictional, is granted by virtue of law. So in in the case of the state, siguro it's natural law, or some people think it's the constitution. For corporations, in our case, it's just the revised corporation code. And the thing about that is, even if you tear down all of the buildings 
of a corporation, it will still exist. What about the people who compose the corporation? What about the people who compose the state? The workers, the stockholders, the directors, the CEOs, all of them are actually replaceable in the eyes of the corporation and in the eyes of the law. So Steve Jobs died, but Apple still persists. Everyone who was around in 1901, for example, most of them, if not all of them, are already dead. Mm-hmm. Maybe not one punch in real life. <laughs> But like just because everyone from the Philippine state died already from 1901 doesn't mean that the Philippine state doesn't exist anymore. So that's the same thing that we want to do with um, nature. That's what we mean when we say personality. We don't mean like the Amazon forest will literally enter the courtroom because Apple doesn't literally enter the courtroom when it gets sued for abusing app developers on the App Store, which is another debatable topic. Mm-hmm. And Nintendo doesn't literally enter the courtroom and it sues people for jailbreaking their consoles. That's another debatable topic about piracy and art. Their representatives do that for them. And that's what giving legal personality to nature will mean. It will mean giving certain rights to nature under the law and those rights can be legally enforced through the representatives of the body of nature. It can seek damages. Um, so this is a legal term because like, If you think about it, like in a regular sentence, why would you seek damages? Why would you seek damages? <laughs> like, I want you to hurt me, but like not in a not in a cool way. <laughs> What? Just like taking it out of context is so bad, Kara. Just stop. In the legal sense, when you are seeking damages, it means that you are injured by another person. And if you're seeking damages, that means you're going to court and asking the person who injured you. To pay you back as compensation for all the damages you might have um, incurred, so that might include like actual damages. Um, if in in our case, in the case of nature, if you're talking about a river, for example, you might be able to sue a corporation for damaging the river using pollution or pollutants. Mm-hmm. Microplastics is a big thing now. Um, so th- that's basically what it means. It can sue a polluter for damaging it, and if it wins, it gets awarded a certain amount of money as compensation. But the question now is, does that really make sense? Like, philosophically speaking. Because how would you know what the river wants? Because, like, for a government... A democracy, a state, it's kind of simple, right? How do you know what the state wants? It's in the people, right? Mm. And it's also in its constitution. Like it, it has a groundwork of what it aims to do, what it's against. There are also certain laws and basically how the state operates in international relations that dictates what it wants. Yeah. You know, like general trends. Yeah. So basically, from what I'm getting there is you have interests of people on the ground that tell the representatives of the state what like what's good for the, the entire state. Yeah. But like a tree can't do that. And that's yeah. the, the, the debate. Yeah. And like a corporation, that's also simple, right? Because... The way that we know what the corporation wants is you look at what the board of directors or the board of trustees, what do they want, and then their actions in some cases might be for approval of stockholders. But that's that's a different field of law. But anyway, as you said, we do not have any way to know what a tree thinks, what a tree feels, or what a tree wants. And this is actually... Um, important because we do not know what the river wants. All that we know is what we want. And one of the reasons why we have a bill in Congress right now trying to give nature legal personality is a ruling in 2015. The case name, if you're into that sort of thing, is Resident Marine Mammals of Tanyon Strait versus Secretary Reyes. 
So in that case, the petitioners went to court representing the dolphins, the whales, the porpoises, other inhabitants of the river. And the Supreme Court said that, okay, citizens can file to protect the environment, representing themselves in their own interests. They do not have the ability to file on behalf of the animals. And here's a quote from that decision. There's no valid reason to feign representation on behalf of animals. To have done so betrays a very anthropocentric view of environmental advocacy. There is no way that we humans can claim to speak for animals, let alone present that they would wish to use our court system, which is designed to ensure that humans seriously carry their responsibility, including ensuring a viable ecology for themselves, which of course includes compassion for all living things. And that's an important quote because that brings to mind an interesting philosophical debate about how should we even view the environment? Should it be anthropocentric or human-centric? Or should it, should it be centered on the intrinsic value of nature itself, which we call ecocentrism? According to the court, or at least my reading of what the court said, I'm not a lawyer, if he tried to claim to speak for nature, we're doing it anthropocentrically. We're substituting our own interests for the interests of nature. So I suppose that what the rights of nature bills are trying to do is to answer that call. Determine, okay... What are the things we know are in the best interest of nature in and of itself, outside of human interest, so that we can enforce it even if it might not be the same as the interests of the humans who represent it? You can now say, no, it's not just me pretending to speak for nature. It's the law telling us that this is the treatment that our environment is entitled to. But the debate now is, should that even be the attitude? Is it better for environmentalists to be anthropocentric or ecocentric, both on the level of philosophy and practicality? So this brings us now to the discussion of anthropocentrism versus ecocentrism. And these are big words. I also struggle to say them. They have many syllables. Yeah, they have many syllables. I will probably stumble quite a lot while recording this as of now. But first of all, we'll first define anthropocentrism and that is the idea that humanity is the most important entity in the universe it's very selfish but that's just really how it is it says that the value of anything is dependent on how how much benefit we can get from them as humans and justin guda helped us for this section and says that actually there's no such thing as a creature that doesn't have utility to humanity because it could be in the form of economic benefit or aesthetic cultural benefit or even ecological utility if there's a thing or animal in nature that doesn't seem to be beneficial to us then it merely means that it is understudied and humanity can find a way and will find a way to find its utility in the future right so that's actually the debate about whether we should let things go extinct or if we should intentionally push certain animals towards extinction as well yeah so actually that's interesting because every other year we get a little revival of the debate about whether we should eradicate all mosquitoes. And actually right now, Singapore is breeding millions of male mosquitoes every single week. I think they they produce like more than 5 million a week. And then they release it periodically. Yeah, they release so many mosquitoes every day. And you would think like, why would you want to do that? And why is that connected to making them go extinct? Well, actually... Singapore um, was modifying those male mosquitoes with a bacteria called Wolbachia. And if a male mosquito with Wolbachia makes an egg with a female mosquito, those eggs would be prevented from hatching. And that's actually how Singapore is fighting mosquitoes. And that is actually quite important because according to Vox in 2019, there have been 
100 plus billion people who have lived in the world over the past 200,000 years. And mosquitoes have been responsible for over 50 billion of those deaths. Um, they carry Zika, they carry malaria, dengue, a lot more. They for sure have a place in the ecosystem and the food chain. Like, I think frogs eat them a lot. They are a very important source of food for many creatures in the ecosystem. But a lot of people say that even if they're gone, frogs can still eat other insects. You know, like, they have a niche in the ecosystem and the food chain. And even if they disappear, something else will fill in that niche. Um, of course, that can be rebutted by saying, we don't know yet how mosquitoes could be useful anthropocentrically. Um, right now, a bunch of people are growing more mosquitoes on purpose because they're actually cheaper ways to feed fish. Mm. Yeah, and, and the more we study it, in the future, we might be able to learn more about it. Um, and actually... <laughs> I know you really hate cockroaches. I do. I really do. Um, if I was going to ask you, would you think that life would be better if all cockroaches suddenly disappeared? I don't think so. I'm of the belief that, well, I'm more ecocentrist in my thinking. Like, I agree there's probably no value to humans to have cockroaches besides maybe potential food in the future. Because I know that's also another... Like debatable. Yeah, the cockroach bread. Yeah, that's also another another debatable topic, right? But as of now, I think that if cockroach were to vanish, like it it will change the like the tier of humanity quite a lot. I feel like, for example, lizards rely on cockroaches for food. I feel like there's a balance that's maintained because of cockroaches. I don't know what it is yet, but there is a balance that's maintained. But anyway, the thing you were talking about just proves that. You know, there's a very anthropocentric view of mosquitoes still because we don't know what they do yet or we don't know what they'll ever do, maybe, right? And right now, we seem to be modifying their existence based on our needs and our own preferences and based on our own survival. So that's about extinction. There's also actually a debate about de-extinction. And I remember I was like a debate fetus when I started talking about this topic. It was our tryouts. Were you was it tryouts? No, I think I think we No, I organized. remember I remember debating this in a tryout though. I was with Ryan Abbas in the room. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe you weren't in that tryout. But anyway, back to the de-extinction point. So there was a debate about whether or not we should de-extinct recently extinct species that have likely died due to human activity. So what is de-extinction? It's basically if we assume the technology exists, you'd use DNA to revive old species and extinct creatures back into existence and then release them into the wild. So these are... Like a lot of different creatures like the Pinta Giant Turtle, the Splendid Poison Frog, the Sphinx Macau, Western Black Rhino, a very sad rhino that died back in 2011, I think. Like they just vanished because we were hunting them for their horns. So that's our fault, right? So the anthropocentric angle here, if you were for the de-extinction, would be to say that well, there's still benefits that we can get if we were to have them again. Right? We yeah. can farm them more, right? Or More ivory. More ivory, right? And that would be a valid argument, but notice how selfish it tends to be. But on the flip side, right, if you were against the extinction, you could also run a anthropocentric angle by saying that their deaths have been justified and are even honorable because of the fact that they served us. Like, they died an honorable cause because they managed to benefit us in the long run, right? And I guess the bottom line here is these arguments are all centered on what they benefit to humans. 
So how does this help you in a debate? So I guess keep in mind in a debate that one, it's not just about how humans benefit, but at the same time, if that's the angle you're missing, then it's also about how humans benefit, right? So some people be go beyond the utility aspect and say it's just plainly immoral to irreversibly damage the ecosystem and biodiversity regardless of utility or disutility to humans. And that's where we talk now about ecocentrism. Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode so far. We'd like to take this opportunity to let you know about an initiative we're having with the Philippine Intercollegiate Debating Championship, or PIDC for short. We believe that debating is for everyone, and given that, we're giving novice debaters and judges a chance to compete in this coming PIDC for free. It's gonna be on us, we're going to be paying for your registration fees, and more. So if you want to apply for the debatable grant, head over to PIDC's Facebook page and apply at bit.ly slash PIDC 2021 debatable. The link is going to be in the description of this episode and all over our social media accounts. The deadline for the application is on June 23. With that, let's go back to the episode. So anthropocentrism, that's, you know, humans are the center of the universe. Yes. Ecocentrism is the, the totality of nature is the center. So it's nature per se intrinsically has value. So uh, this is a, a good like debate vocabulary like tip. Because if you say something is intrinsic, that means there's something inherent in it that is valuable or that is good. And the opposite of that is extrinsic, which means that it is only good because of something else in the environment. Another term for that is instrumental. Mm. So I, I'm not saying this to mansplain to you, Nina. I, I'm doing this... To mansplain to everyone else. To, to, yeah. to mansplain to, <laughs> to people who might be confused with terms like intrinsic and extrinsic and instrumental. But anyway, the anthropocentric view says that nature is important because and only to the extent that humans derive value from it. It's instrumental. But e- an ecocentrist an ecocentrist view says that nature per se or by itself is already valuable independent of any human or living organism that exists to benefit from it. And it, it extends not just to living creatures but also to non-living factors in nature. So it basically denies the premise that humans are distinct, unique creatures or entities apart from nature. So, okay, I, I kind of get the debate behind um, granting legal personality now. It's basically the idea that why should we give nature more rights if that might destroy like or inconvenience humans, right? So it's not really about like it diminishes the value of personhood, but more of like, There are some cases where in order to protect humans, uh, in order to protect the nature or the environment, humans have to suffer. And of course, you can make the argument like, when in the long run, the more we protect nature, the more we protect ourselves also. But there are cases where that's not the case in the short run. Mm. So I, I think that's where the debate is. It's anthropocentrism versus ecocentrism. So anyway, ecocentrism denies the premise that humans are special. You're not special. I'm not special. So that actually implies, number one, humans are not the sole bearers of intrinsic value. And you ha- you can compare that to things like Immanuel Kant or um, deontology, which we've talked about several times in previous episodes, yep. where humans are not just means to an end. They're ends in themselves. This basically says that nature and other things are also ends in themselves. Humans are not the only bearers of the categor- categorical imperative. And second, it also implies that 
humans do not possess greater intrinsic value compared to non-human entities. So, if you apply it to a debate about extinction, like let's push... Um, For the extinction of mosquitoes. Yeah, stuff. mosquitoes. You, you can just say full stop that it's immoral. Like you have no right to determine the value of your suffering in comparison to the suffering of these mosquitoes. Right? Because they probably, even if they might not process pain the same way that we do or process the value of their lives the same way that we do, their lives still have value. And the idea that just because something might be inconvenient for us, it automatically gives us the right to extinguish it from existence is something that's deeply problematic from an ecocentrist point of view. Mm. So if you were applying it now to the de-extinction debate about bringing back animals that we've you know, sadly killed off, then you can use the ecocentrist angle, which is to say that we shouldn't have been playing God in the first place. This is a way to maintain balance, to give back principally the rights that animals should have had in the first place, to thrive and exist without human intervention or as little human intervention to ensure that, you know, the relationship is not skewed in favor of one particular creature over the other. So it's more ecocentrist because we don't want humans to be the ones mainly benefiting from it. But obviously, if you were in opposition now and you were against the de-extinction, you could also argue an ecocentrist point of view, which is to say that bringing back creatures that have already died is actually still tampering with the eco- uh, ecological balance that already has happened because of the fact that these animals have gone extinct. Because nature basically balances itself out, right? Because the rhino went extinct, something else thrived in its place. Something else became the main predator. Something else became the main food, perhaps, or the main source of um, different needs of humans, and etc. And bringing back certain species would just, therefore, tip the scales once again towards a particular side, and that's also our role of playing God. Obviously, there's... Like, both sides are debatable. That's why it's a debate. That's Uh why we're talking about it in the podcast. So, if you were to defend one or the other, I wouldn't say that one argument is stronger inherently. I would just say that it's just about extents and how well you can prove a particular frame over the other. But both are viable ways to argue for this motion. Yeah, and actually, to be fair, if we're just going to be creative about it, we can spend like hours just talking about what are the different ways that we can run the same argument, right? And like this is something that I feel like I've talked to other people about before, but basically it's the idea that whenever you see very common themes in debates, in this case we're talking about anthropocentrism and ecocentrism, there are so many ways for you to build it, like in very creative ways. I remember the other day when we started the conversation about the use of the term epistemic access. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, someone said that it, even if you're using it in many different ways, the problem with that is it might be difficult for people, lay people or non-debaters to process if like, you compress all those different angles into just one label. But... My argument for this is it's not necessarily all of those arguments happening at the same time. It's just different ways of exploring the same concept. And that's basically what we encourage our listeners to do for this episode as well. We already gave you like the background of what anthropocentrism, ecocentrism are and how you could use them in debates. How would you further this discussion? How would you build it creatively? Um, and to this point, 
we have a lot of different frames that we also kind of use that you could use or you can also build on. And Gouda was very helpful in sort of synthesizing these frames. So the first one is nature as support. And this is building off of an ecocentric framework that says humans aren't really distinct creatures. We like to talk ourselves up that we are the only species to make it this far on our own. But really, we're just animals that randomly evolved to be self-aware and sentient. And we were only able to evolve that way because of the constant support of the environment. So we could not have existed without the support of nature. And therefore, it's unfair to use a birth lottery advantage to harm other entities because our evolution to get bigger brains, that was, scientifically speaking, a random occurrence, right? So the only reason why that random occurrence brought us to where we are today is because of the constant support of the environment. And that means we have a moral obligation to protect the environment that supported us from the very beginning of our evolutionary line. Yeah, but you can also argue this on the flip side because given that it's ecocentric and nature is merely a support system, that means that we are being supported as well. So you could argue that animals are also there and they also owe us to some extent, right? And it's a matter of framing which side owes the other more based on an ecocentric point of view and based on maybe an evolutionary point of view on which side was able to benefit more or the other. So that's the nature support sort of frame that we have. Another frame would be ecocentric interconnectedness as fundamental in the worldview of many indigenous peoples. So this one is interesting. Kyle and I really like this angle quite a lot because one of the central tenets is the belief in the immor- immortality of the soul. right? And this is like a little bit more creative this time because the soul doesn't die but rather is transmigrated from from humans to animals or plants or higher spirits. And because the soul is capable of living in nature, both the animate and inanimate are revered. So this is the idea, for example, that I guess this is ecocentric in a way that you need to understand basically that we could be anything or everything all at once. It's a bit philosophical, but yeah. I'd say a lot of religions like have this central tenet and a lot of indigenous groups adhere to this quite a lot you know yeah and you know just just for transparency's sake that spiel earlier that Nina said we based it off of the webinar that I attended which was um delivered by PMPI which is fighting for giving rights to nature and they were saying that for the indigenous peoples, this concept of giving rights to nature is not anything new. Because giving rights to nature is just as natural to them as giving rights to themselves. And that's actually something that we argued years before. Like, yeah, years ago. Years ago. <laughs> this is one of my favorite debates because we lost the round but on a very close margin against like who I considered are really, really like, great the greats. Yeah, <laughs> idol Like idols, you know. Um, and we argued the- here that basically the motion was about whether it was justified to use self-defense. No, no, no. I think it was about like... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it was about... Self-defense was our argument. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. The motion was about um, like eco-terrorism or something like that? No, whether it was justified for indigenous groups to attack those who were in their territory in the forest or cutting down the trees. Something in, something about that, yeah. right? That was five years ago. That was five that years was ago. 2000- 
Philippine debate opened 2016. And notice how the motions just kind of repeat themselves. Like, if you've encountered this motion recently, then that's just proof that, you know, a lot of things that we're hopefully teaching you get to be applied in other contexts. But anyway, we argued there that it was justified for violence to be used because an attack on a tree, for example, or an attack on the forest in general could be taken by indigenous peoples as an attack to themselves. So we said that it wasn't violence. It was self defense and i felt like that was a big brain moment um where we realized that you know there's a lot to explore about nature and we often take it for granted while it could mean the world to certain groups of people or to certain individuals yeah and i think the last thing that we can talk about before we end this episode is a more anthropocentric argument which is about agency because Whenever we're talking about anthropocentrism, it's the idea that, again, we are the center of the universe. But why is that the case? The argument for why that is the case is the argument from agency. The idea that, well, we're not really assured of anything except for the capacity to have choice. Like, it's the Cartesian idea that, um, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. But it's also solipsistic in the sense that I know that I can think because I'm a human and I know that I exist. But I'm not sure if anyone else can think. So I'm not sure if anyone else can exist. Um, that's a general form of solipsism. And it's kind of a douchey philosophy. But in the context of environmental philosophy, you can also use the same thing. You know that you exist as someone with like agency and have rights because you can think and conceive of those rights, but you're not sure if any other animal has the same level of agency, right? So we are obliged to defend an entity with a higher likelihood of sound agency. And in this case, most of the time, it's our own selves. It's humanity in general, the next generation. So man expends energy and resources to maintain nature. If man comes to the point where it has to choose nature or fellow humans, in the case of like economic crashes or something like that, it's more moral to alleviate human suffering than animal suffering because of the higher likelihood for agency and self-awareness and also the idea that if you are poor um, as a human, you are more able to internalize and comprehend the gravity of that pain versus if you were an animal with, for example, a small brain and you can't really process mm -mm. those kinds of um, pains. So this extends to food since there are no alternatives to domesticated livestock. The current alternatives are either expensive or unsustainable. That's why we should just err on the side of just, you know, breeding chickens only to let them die for our benefit. Yeah, just to clarify though, we like, you know, some of these views we don't actually hold. We're just... Like, bringing them out there for discussion of the, the masses and of the people. And what I notice actually is, like, a lot of arguments that you use for environment are really tightly knit with philosophical arguments. And I yeah. find that really interesting. It's also rooted a lot in religions as well as how people perceive the world. So I think this is why talking about the environment is important, not just for debate, but also in terms of understanding your place in the world and yeah. understanding yourself a little bit more. I know this, this seems like really huge concepts to grasp and like relating it to your own life might be difficult, especially given that we're so detached now from the forest and the environment in general. Like we live in stone buildings made of cement covered in like wires 
So it's difficult to actually internalize what these things can mean for us. But we probably should. And hopefully this episode is a start towards that kind of thinking and towards that kind of conversation with others. Yeah. Because like everything we've ever done as a as a human species, you know, as a species is just to find meaning and a place in the universe that we were given. So whether it is you feeling like a part of nature or you feeling like you are above nature, that might be up to you. What we want to do as co-hosts for this podcast is to give you the options, sort of weigh it out for yourselves, engage in meaningful debates with other people. I have personally had this kind of debate, especially when we're talking about the gravity of human suffering versus the gravity of animal suffering and whether or not you could morally relate them. And those are the same discussions that we encourage everyone who is listening and just everyone in general to start having. Because I I think regardless of where you fall in, in this like anthropocentrism, ecocentrism spectrum, everyone probably agrees that we are sharing the same space, the, sh- the same environment. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. it for this episode. Yeah, that's it for this episode. Oh, that got rather heavy towards the end. But I think that But in a, a good way. In yeah. a good way. I think that was necessary... Hopefully, you had fun listening to us. Hopefully, you can have these conversations with your own friends and with your own um, circles. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye Bye-bye! Just for the record, Nina actually waved bye-bye. Yeah, I waved to the computer. I forgot that you don't exist. (laughs) Bye!